Chapter Number Forty Seven of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter Forty Seven but there are griefs a griefs as deep the friendship turned to hate and deeper still and deeper still repentance come too late too late joyce on the whole had not enjoyed last night's dance at the court barbara had been there and she had gone home with her and monkton after it and on waking this morning a sense of unreality of dissatisfaction is all that comes to her no pleasant flavor is on her mental palate there is only a vague feeling of failure and a dislike to looking into things to analyze matters as they stand yet where the failure came in she would have found it difficult to explain even to herself everybody so far as she was concerned had behaved perfectly that is as she if she had been compelled to say it out loud would have desired them to behave mr beauclerk had been polite enough not too polite and lady baltimore had made a great deal of her and barbara had said she looked lovely and freddie had said something oh absurd of course and not worth repeating but still flattering and those men from the barracks at clonby had been a perfect nuisance they were so pressing with their horrid attentions and so eager to get a dance and mr dysart well that fault could not be laid to his charge therefore of course he was all that could be desired he was circumspect to the last degree he had not been pressing with his attentions he had indeed been so kind and nice that he had only asked her for one dance and during the short quarter of an hour that took to get through he had been so admirably conducted as to restrain his conversation to the most commonplace and had not suggested that the conservatory was a capital place to get cool in between the dances the comb she was doing her hair with at the time caught in her hair as she came to this point and she flung it angrily from her she and assured herself that the tears that had suddenly come into her eyes arose from the pain that that hateful instrument of torture had caused her yes felix had taken the right course he had at least learned that she could never be anything to him could never forgive him it showed great dignity in him great strength of mind she had told him at least given him to understand when in london that he should forget her and he had forgotten he had obeyed her the comb must have hurt her again 
and worse this time, because now the tears are running down her cheeks. How horrible it is to be unforgiving. People who don't forgive never go to heaven. There seems to be some sort of vicious consolation in this thought. In truth, Dysart's behavior to her since his return has been all she had led him to understand it ought to be. He it so changed toward her in every way that sometimes she has wondered if he has forgotten all the strange, unhappy past, and now entirely emancipated from the torture of love unrequited that once had been his. It is a train of thought she has up to this shrank from pursuing, yet which, she being strong in certain ways, should have been pursued by her to the bitter end. One small fact, however, has rendered her doubtful. She could not fail to notice that whenever he and she are together in the morning-room, ballroom, or at luncheon or dinner, or breakfast, though he will not approach or voluntarily address her until she first makes an advance toward him. A rare occurrence. Still, if she raises her eyes to his, anywhere, at any moment, it is to find his on her. And what sad eyes! Searching, longing, despairing, angry, but always full of an indescribable tenderness. Last night she had specially noticed this, but then, last night, he had specially held aloof from her. No, no, it was no use dwelling upon it. He would not forgive. That chapter in her life was closed. To attempt to open it again would be to court defeat. Joyce, however, had not been the only one to whom last night had been a disappointment. Beauclerk's determination to propose to her, to put his fortune to the touch and to gain hers, failed. Either the fates were against him, or else she herself was in a willful mood. She had refused to leave the dancing-room with him on any pretext whatever, unless to gain the coolness of the crowded hall outside, or the still more inhabited supper-room. He was not dismayed, however, and there was no need to do things precipitately. There was plenty of time. There could be no doubt about the fact that she preferred him to any of the other men of her acquaintance. He had discovered that she had refused Dysart not only once, but twice. This he had drawn out of Isabel by a mild and apparently meaningless, but nevertheless incessant and obtruse cross-examination. Naturally, he could see at once the reasons for that. No girl who had been once honoured by his attentions could possibly give her heart to another. No girl ever yet refused an honest offer unless her mind was filled with the image of another fellow. Mr. Beauclerk found no difficulty about placing the other fellow in this case, Norman Beauclerk was his name. 
what woman in her senses would prefer that tiresome dysart with his downright honesty business so gloomily developed to him beauclerk answer no one well she shall be rewarded now dear little girl he will make her happy for life by laying his name and prospective fortune at her feet to-day he will end his happy bachelor state and sacrifice himself on the altar of love thus resolved he walks through the lands of the court through the valley filled with opening fronds of ferns and through the spinney beyond that again until he comes to where the monktons live the house seems very silent knocking at the door the maid comes to tell him that mr and mrs monkton and the children are out but that miss cavanagh is within happy circumstance surely the fates favor him they always have by the by sure sign that he is deserving of good luck thanks miss cavanagh then his compliments and hopes that she is not too fatigued to receive him the maid having shown him into the drawing-room retires with the message and presently the sound of little high-heeled shoes crossing the hall tells him that joyce is approaching his heart beats high not immoderately high to be uncertain is to be none the less unnerved but there is no uncertainty about his wooing still it pleases him to know that in spite of her fatigue she could not bring herself to deny herself to him ah how good of you says he as she enters meeting her with both hands outstretched i feared the visit was too early a very betise on my part but you are the soul of kindness always early says joyce with a little laugh why you might have found me chasing the children round the garden three hours ago providently giving him one hand the ordinary one and ignoring his other their father and mother were bound to go to tisdown this morning or i should have been dead long before this ah said beauclerk and then with increasing tenderness so glad they were removed it would have been too much for you wouldn't it yes i dare say on the whole i believe i don't mind them said miss cavanagh well and what about last night it was delightful wasn't it secretly she sighs heavily as she makes this most untruthful assertion ah was it asked he i did not find it so how could i when you were so unkind to me i oh no oh surely not says she anxiously there is no touch of the coquetry that might be about this answer had it been given to a man better liked a slow soft color has crept into her cheeks born of the knowledge that she had got out of several dances with him but he seeing it gives it another a more flattering meaning to his own self-love can you deny it asks he changing his seat as to get 
nearer to her joyce he leans towards her may i speak at last last night i was foiled in my purpose it is difficult to say all that is in one's heart at a public affair of that kind but now now miss kavanagh has sprung to her feet no don't don't she says earnestly i tell you i beg you i warn you she pauses as if not knowing what else to say and raises her pretty hands as if to enforce her words shy delightfully shy says beauclerk to himself he goes quickly up to her with all the noble air of the conqueror and seizing one of her trembling hands holds it in his own hear me he says with an amused toleration for her girlish mauvais haunt it is only such a little thing i have to say to you but yet it means a great deal to me and to you i hope i love you joyce i have come here to-day to ask you to be my wife i told you not to speak says she she has grown very white now i warned you it is no use no use indeed i have startled you says beauclerk still disbelieving yet somehow loosening the clasp on her hand you did not expect perhaps that i should have spoken to-day and yet no it was not that said miss kavanagh slowly i knew you would speak i thought last night would have been the time but i managed to avoid it then and now well i thought it better to get it over says she gently she stops as if struck by something and heavy tears rush to her eyes ah she had told another very much the same as that but she had not meant it then and yet had been believed and now when she does mean it she is not believed oh if the cases might be reversed beauclerk however mistakes the cause of tears it get what over demands he smiling this misunderstanding ah yes that i am afraid he leans more closely toward her i have often been afraid that you have not quite read me as i ought to be read oh i have read you says she with a little gesture of her head half confused half mournful but not rightly perhaps there have been moments when i fear you might have misjudged me not one says she quickly mr beauclerk if i might implore you not to say another word only one more pleads he coming up smiling as usual just one joyce let me say my last word it may make all the difference in the world between you and me now i love you nay hear me she has risen and he rising too takes possession of both her hands i have come here to-day to ask you to be my wife you know that already but you do not know how i have worshipped you all these dreary months and how i have kept silent for your sake and for my sake why do you speak now asked she 
she has withdrawn her hands from his what have you to offer me now that you had not a year ago after all it is a great thing to be an accomplished liar it sticks to beauclerk now why haven't you heard asks he lifting astonished brows i have heard nothing not of my coming appointment at least modestly of my chance at it no nothing nothing and even if i had it would make no difference i beg you to understand once for all mr beauclerk that i cannot listen to you not now perhaps i have been very sudden no never never are you telling me that you refuse me asked he looking at her with a rather strange expression in his eyes i am sorry you put it that way returned she faintly i don't believe you know what you are doing cries he losing his self-control for once in his life you will regret this for a moment of spite of ill-temper you why should i be ill-tempered about anything that concerns you and me says she very gently still she has grown even whiter however and has lifted her head so that her large eyes are directed straight to his something in the calm severity of her look chills him ah you know best says he viciously the game is up is thoroughly played out this he acknowledges to himself and the knowledge does not help to sweeten his temper it helps him however to direct a last shift at her taking up his hat he makes a movement to depart and then looks back at her his overweening vanity is still alive when you do regret it says he and i believe that will be soon it will be too late you had the goodness to give me a warning a few minutes ago i give you one now i shall not regret it says she coolly not even when dysart has sailed for india and then the girl he left behind him is disconsolate asks he with an insolent laugh ha huh, that touches you it had touched her she looks like a living thing stricken suddenly into marble as she stands gazing back at him with her hands tightly clenched before her india to india and she never had heard extreme anger however fights with her grief and overcoming it enables her to answer her adversary i think you too will feel regret says she gravely when you look back upon your conduct to me to-day there is such gentleness such dignity in her rebuke and her beautiful face is so full of mute reproach that all the good there is in beauclerk rises to the surface he flings his hat upon a table near and himself at her feet forgive me cries he in a stifled tone have mercy on me joyce i love you i swear it do not cast me adrift all i have said or done i regret now you said i should regret and i do 
something in his abasement disgusts the girl instead of creating pity in her breast she shakes herself free of him by a sharp and horrified movement you must go home she says calmly yet with a frowning brow and you must not come here again i told you it was all useless but you would not listen no no not a word he has risen to his feet and would have advanced toward her but she waves him from her with a sort of troubled hatred in her face you mean begins he hoarsely one thing one thing only feverishly that i hope i shall never see you again End of chapter 47 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.